Are you ready? Yes. Hello, I'm Hazel. And I'm Chinzy. Welcome to the People to People podcast. This podcast is all about people in Malawi and Scotland coming together to have conversations about our partnerships. It's a space where we can ask each other questions and make connections and reflect on how things are going just now in this complicated and evolving relationship between the two countries. Listeners have been getting in touch about our last episode, so thank you very much to everyone who has shared us with their friends or shared us on social media. This really does help. So guess what, Chimsy? My brother has been listening to the podcast. Oh, okay. What, what, what's, his, what's he saying? What's his feedback? In Canada. So he's, I think he's quite enjoyed the podcast. He said, even though he's not into rugby, he thought the last episode was quite engaging in, because of the conversation. Oh, we like that. Actually, I have some feedback from someone. My friend's dad, Steve, who is a loyal listener of the podcast, and he was talking about the episode with the word expedition. Which is our last episode. That's the one about rugby. And how to him it never crossed his mind that expedition would carry such negative notations, which was one of the feedbacks. And he said he really enjoyed that conversation and he'll think more about Great. it. All right, Steve, keep letting us know what you think of the podcast. We love to hear from you. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <laughs> yeah. This week, we welcome Charles Chabby and Kath and Matthew Aiken. Charles is from the Kasintula Cane Growers Association in Malawi. He's in the Shai Valley region in the south of Malawi. An association transitioning into a cooperative of 762 farmers farming under 1,435 hectares, which on average is 2.5 hectares each. Kath and Matthew live in a small village in Scotland called Dunscore. Kath's recently retired from active farming on Ockengage Farm, though you'll hear she's still beekeeping. But she and Matthew now rent their farmland to their neighbours, and Matthew's interest is in the fair trade angle. We were put in touch with these farmers by Catherine Newman from the Scottish Fair Trade Forum, who emailed the podcast, so thank you very much, Catherine. They had made a film for Fairtrade Fortnight this year, which was a dialogue between food growing and farming communities in Scotland, which we'll link to in our show notes. On the film, there's some footage of cows being washed away in floods caused by Cyclone Anna in Malawi. And there was a Scottish farmer talking about sheep dying in flooded rivers as well. And isn't it good to have a conversation farmer to farmer, regardless of where you are on a level, like sharing their experiences of having to diversify and connecting with each other. But on the other hand, these worlds are so different. In Scotland, we have like national healthcare system, reliable electricity, plumbing, free school for everybody and comparatively far milder weather. So we can't honestly tell the story that our struggles are like on a par. And we always need to remember where the responsibility for these environmental disasters lies and understand the urgency for change. That said, let's hear how Charles, Kath and Matthew know each other. So we'd love to hear how the two of you have met before. Charles, you visited Scotland, is that right? Yes, I think that was 2015. Oh, it was fantastic. That was my first time to be in Scotland. I enjoyed my stay. It was a fair trade fortnight. Uh, a producer was visiting, and there was an option for this producer to come to Dunsker. And Dunsker is a tiny place. It's about 150 people who actually live in the village. But whenever we get a chance of getting somebody from a fair trade producing 
organization, we jump at it and we have a big event once a year called the Big Brew. So it was an opportunity to get Charles to come and visit us then. And it was wonderful. I remember you, Charles, helping to sweep up the hall and put the tables away uh, and all of that sort of stuff. And then came and visited us here on the farm as well. Uh, Excellent time. Really good visit. Amazing. So you're both producers and the interest is in fair trade. Where did that come about? Dunsker Church is a very active eco-congregation. The eco-congregation part led into the fair trade because one of the people that was very much involved in the eco-congregation said it's about time that Dumfries and Galloway became fair trade regions and that wasn't happening. So she said, okay, well, let's go for Dunsker. This was something we can do. And so after a few years, Dunsker became a fair trade village. It's, it's kept going since, and that would be about 2008 or something like that. We actually do a lot of things in the fair trade organisation in Dunsker, way beyond the size of the village again. It led into visits by producers, and so we've had several. Charles is the only one that's actually spoken at the school. We had Charles to come and talk to the children just a few months ago, and that was a wonderful experience for, for us and them. And I think that was virtual, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was an online thing. Uh, despite that, it worked really well. The children all asked some tricky questions of Charles. Thanks for that compliment. (laughs) I'm humbled. (laughs) Charles, tell me about your connection with Fairtrade and the partnership and how you came about being in contact with the organisation in Scotland. Ah, Okay, so I think I should start by giving a little bit of a background to Cassintula and how we became Fairtrade accredited. It was in 2004, we started being connected to other organizations like Fairtrade Foundation. So when I went to Scotland, I stayed with Matthew. My role was to talk about Fairtrade and what it means to us. You were talking to me the other day about the cyclone, Freddie, and the damage that's done, but what struck me was the story about resilience and the community changing. You were telling me about your beehives and so on. So I'd love to hear more about a wee snapshot of where you are in your organisation at the moment. So, yeah, uh, we had cyclones in 2022. The deadly one was, the, I think, Cyclone Anna. As a result of that, most of our fields were um, you know, flooded. We were unable to produce enough sugar for two reasons one is because our cane had a lot of mud which was affecting the performance of the factory so as a result of that our production went down and in addition to that we could not be able to access most of our fields so that affected our sales and then at the beginning of 2023 and towards end of 2022 the government of malawi issued a ban on fair trade sugar exports they also declared a force majeure on all the fair trade contracts with our customers. And as a result of that, we failed to implement all our plans. So Fair Trade International gave us some funds to support a project that is called Fair Trade Sourcing Ingredients. And one of the things that we are doing with the funding is to embark on beekeeping. So far, 120 farmers have been trained on beekeeping. We have purchased over 50 beehives. What kind of hives do you have, Charles? The the ordinary one, not the fancy one. Made of wood. Yeah. What kind of yield do you get? It's difficult for me to answer that question. Because of the cyclone, Anna, our beehives were washed away. 
and then we're back to square one. Mm. Do they get nectar from the trees, the local trees, and presumably from the sugarcane too? From both. We have local trees around. Apart from beekeeping, we also got some funds for woodlot establishment. So we have a woodlot. And then we benefit from that for our beekeeping. So we benefit from both cane and some trees. Will the honey be sold as fair trade honey? That's what we are looking forward to. We are working on that one, but we are not yet fair trade. Because Scotland doesn't produce as much honey as it uses uh, by, by a long way, so it, it, I imagine it would do well. We have a problem in, in Britain with a thing called varroa. It's a little mite that attacks the bees. Do you have such a thing in Malawi? No, not yet. The, the ants. That's, that's our only challenge at the moment. Right, right. So do the ants go in to seal the nectar? Yes, they do. But then we sorted that out. Right. So how did you do it? I have to do with the designing of the beehives themselves and how we mounted them. And we also used some wax, which we put underneath the beehives themselves. Oh, very good. You probably <laughs> gathered that Kath is a beekeeper. <laughs> We've had a very good year this year. I only have two beehives but I have got a hundred pounds of honey already from the two beehives, which is that's a really good yield for me. Yeah, that's massive. It's good for Scotland. Yeah. Chimsy, I think you have a question. What is the process of farmers in Malawi to become fair trade? Is this a possibility for small farmers? Okay, I think there are a number of steps that as farmers we have to follow in order for us to become fair trade accredited. There are a number of audits that are done. Our cease. Capability. Is is this easy for small scale farmers, or is it easier if you're already established, like your organisation? You have to have a certain amount of hectares, but then you also have to belong to a grouping because on your own you cannot be allowed to trade on fair trade terms. Like in our case, we are an association, but we are transitioning into a cooperative. I think in, in the UK, a lot of people would recognise the fair trade mark, but very few would actually know really what does fair trade mean and how does an organisation become fair trade accredited and what's involved in it and what the costs are and so on. Yeah, I should also mention that we got extra funding from GIZ to upscale on our beekeeping. So I wanted to explain GIZ. It's the Deutsche Gesellschaft für International Zusammenarbeit. When they say GIZ, that's what they mean. Right. The main German development agency. So we are going to procure additional 300 beehives. Yes, and be able to train even more farmers. So we are growing into something so big. It's interesting to feel that we need you to be able to produce that and we're really cheering you on. I love sugar, I love honey and can't produce it. A lot of the conversations that we have on this podcast are about decolonizing, about partnerships in which people feel equal or like they need each other. It feels to me like this is a really good example of that. I wanted to ask you, is it? I'm hearing that you're relying on funding to expand and and funding from outside Malawi. So there's still that relationship going on. And I wondered if you had any reflections, both of you, on those relationships, the power balance in them and how that's changing. 
because that's something that we are thinking about a lot at the moment alongside the environment and the fact that we have this huge climate crisis in which there's people in rich countries overburning emissions and that there's sort of environmental factors that you're experiencing more of in Malawi and also you are I think as well Kath and Matthew experiencing some of the effects of the weather changes in your farming practice here as well so it's you know particularly for the likes of 300 hives that's a lot of equipment it's very very expensive in this country there are grants for diversification in farming and that would fall into that category it's not necessarily a level playing field but both communities both in Scotland and in Malawi are in receipt of of help to to produce. Would you say that was fair, Charles? Yeah, that's true. You know, for us, beekeeping is something which is new to us. There is still quite a lot that we have to learn. We don't have a stable market yet. One of the reasons we are into beekeeping is one way of diversifying because of the challenges that we have had. The environment is changing. So we have to look for alternative ways of generating income. And beekeeping is one of those alternative ways. Very high value product too. And increases biodiversity and pollination, you know, for other crops too. Certainly it's something we notice a lot, even just in the garden here. Our crops, fruit crops, vegetable crops they're very much better basically because we have the bees Kath half of your income now is from energy generation I wonder if you're interested in that as well Charles we have a micro hydro so it runs on the the burn we have a small river on the farm and it has a drop a fall of 37 meters which means that we can produce electricity from it and Talking about climate change with the hydro in mind as well. The hydro was a a brilliant farm diversification for us because, as I said, half of our income is from that now. But it has changed massively over the last 12 years. The first eight years of our electricity production, there was only 10 days per year in each of the first eight years where there was no electricity being produced, i.e. there wasn't enough water in the burn to produce the electricity. This year, in fact, we've had 35 to 40 days without production. Last year it was 90, 90 days without production. Previous year 60, previous year 30. But that has been a massive change that we have seen uh, in our in our lifetime, in our the last 12 years. Is that something that you've seen, Charles? big changes like an energy production or farming methods due to the changing climate? I saw the hydro myself. I was impressed. <laughs> As a country in Malawi, we are still struggling with, you know, electricity. We have had a number of days without electricity, and that has affected our production quite substantially. This year, the situation has improved, but last year it was worse. As a result of the blackouts, we are unable to pump enough water for our irrigation. Consequently, most of our cane stews died, so our yield went down as well. And then we were unable to produce as much as expected. From next year, instead of pumping from 
the Shiri River where we use electricity because the government in conjunction with the World Bank are implementing a massive project which is called the Chile Valley Transformation Program. With that, we'll be able to irrigate without using electricity because they are constructing a high canal where most growers will be able to access water at a very reasonable fee. So we are looking forward to that. I only have one more question, and I just wanted to know more about the impact that fair trade has had on the local community, or if you've had any challenges, like maybe people applying and not being able to be successful. Yeah, there is quite a lot that we have done with the fair trade premiums. There was a time when we used to receive good money from 2004 up until 2010. The situation changed when we started sharing the premiums with other growers that eventually became fair trade accredited. 2012 backwards, that was the time when Casintula was the only small sugar producing organization that was fair trade accredited. So most of our farmers have built nice houses. We managed to put electricity in communities. We also invest quite a lot back into the business to improve or boost our production. We bought tractors, which we use for fuel operations, like transportation of seed cane. We've built a school, a primary school. Initially, you know, children used to walk a distance of about six to 10 kilometers to the nearest primary school. But now we have this primary school right in our communities. In total, to date, we've constructed over 22 boroughs. Women, for the first time, managed to organize themselves. They have what we call Women Action Group. So with the support of Divine Chocolate, we got some funding from Divine and we topped up and used the money to buy two men's meals for the women. Now they're able to access small loans at low interest rates and be able to start businesses in their communities. Using the proceeds from the men's meal, the Women Action Group buy foodstuffs for the elderly. If you come to Casintula, you'll be amazed by what the women the farmers are doing. For the first time, they're able to rely on themselves. They don't have to rely on their husbands. Fair trade indeed has transformed the livelihoods of the farmers, including, including women. I'm actually blown away by that. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Kath, Matthew, how many schools have you been? <laughs> how many? No? None? Nice, and if we can make it work, is, is to actually have some sort of a link between Dunsker School and the school that Charles is talking yeah. about, which was created through the Fair Trade Premium. So is it money that has to be spent on the community that they get? I mean, what, what the Fair Trade yeah. Premium does is just staggering when you hear yeah. Charles, because the Fair Trade producers get a reasonable price for what they sell, but... The fair trade premium just seems to be the, the icing yeah. on the cake, really, in terms of the community being able to decide how they spend that extra money. At the end of the conversation there, unfortunately, we lost connection with Charles, but we did manage to salvage some of the chat that we had. Yeah, it was a great conversation, wasn't it? So it seems that there are two sugar processing factories in Malawi, and they're both owned by Ilovo. Yeah. Have you heard of them? I have, yeah. Uh, the school I attended in Malawi was roughly around an hour, an hour and a half from Ilovo. 
Ah, cool. So there are some online articles that I found talking about the government preventing Alovo from exporting sugar in May 2022 because there was a concern that there wasn't enough local supply, which is all due to failed crops as a result of flooding after Cyclone Anna. And the managing director of Alovo in this article said, like, they're already restricting sales and local supply is their priority. You don't need to ban us, you know. I was struggling to find information about when the ban was lifted or if it's been lifted. But if anybody knows, please let us know because we are interested. Mm-hmm. It was just to get to the bottom of this question that you asked about the process of becoming fair trade, Jimsy. I've been doing a wee bit of research. So there seem to be two types of fair trade verification systems. So you can get the fair trade mark, which is audited by a company called FlowCert, and the other one, which is through the World Fair Trade Organization. So Cassintula Sugarcane have the fair trade mark. So to get the fair trade mark, you need to meet the fair trade standard. And there are three requirements for this, economic, social and environmental. So you have to be a small scale producer, mainly using your own labor rather than relying on hired workers. You have to run democratically. So there's no discrimination and you're protecting vulnerable characteristics and gender equality. And everyone gets a say in how the premium is spent in particular. And there is environmental guidelines. So these are to do with pesticides and water and soil protection and preventing deforestation, right? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And if you want to get a little bit more geeky about it, I found the Fair Trade Standard document on the website for sugarcane. So there's different, obviously, standards for each type of farming. And I mean, I imagine this is mostly interesting to sugarcane farmers. Welcome all our sugarcane farmer listeners. But a few details is like you can mix a bit of beet sugar in with cane sugar as long as you tell people about it, but not if it's genetically modified. Workers need clean drinking water. You need to keep and share good records with people. So by the looks of it, it's quite a bit of admin work. But like once you're certified, the buyer has to pay you the standard market price for your goods. So There's less ups and downs in the market and they also pay you back a premium which you share with your community. Has that answered your question, Chibzi? It has, yes. The protecting of vulnerable groups is like one of the impacts that Charles was talking about. He mentioned that, you know, now the women in the community have a voice and are able to look after the older people in their community, which I thought was really good. One of the things I, when I was reading a bit about it as well, which I liked, there was a real democratic process. So every farmer that was part of fair trade had a voice in a review of the standards. The standards were adapted, but it had come from the people who it affected. So there was that kind of democracy and everybody having a voice in the in the changes and updates of the system. That's what we need, right? For everyone to have a voice, for everyone's voice to be heard. Thank you for doing the research. So there was quite a bit of focus on the chat on Cyclone Anna rather than Cyclone Freddy. I guess we were speaking to Charles and if he saw that's what affected the association the most, then that's what we could talk about. But we're more than happy to bring someone on who has a lot more experience with Cyclone Freddy and how that's impacted the organisation. Yeah, so hopefully we'll cover that a little bit more in future, but it's just to recognise that there's this other big cyclone as well we've not forgotten. Yeah, Yeah, no, true. In our next episode, we're going to hear from Karen Chinquita. So Karen's been to a conference all about decolonisation. So we're going to hear how that went.
So I just wanted to mention a brilliant mini-series by the podcast Farmer Rama, which you might enjoy if you've just specifically tuned into this episode for the good farming content. There's a mini-series that they've done called Landed, which is a personal exploration of land ownership and colonial legacy, and it's told by Col Gordon, a Scottish farmer's son, as he returns home to his family farm. I thoroughly recommend it. The People to People podcast is independently produced by us, Chimsy Dory and Hazel Darwin Clements, but was commissioned by the Scotland Malawi Partnership. Recently, there was a massive concert in Edinburgh celebrating fair trade, and I spotted there yeah. Pulse of the Place playing with the Chili Pipers, and they've given me permission to use a recording of theirs, which is found on YouTube, which I will give you a link to. And here's a little snippet of some Scottish music this time for a change. When you go 